What should it be? Hey guys. Hey guys. Hey there, folks. No. <laughs> I said hey guys. I didn't say hey there, folks. No, I'm just. I, that was just me trying to spin like off of your. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Hey guys, and welcome to... <laughs> hey guys. <laughs> hey guys. Hey guys. Hey guys. Welcome to another episode of the I'm Getting There podcast. Dude, it's Michael Booth, your host. I was... <laughs> uh, before I tell you who's here today, I was... Uh, or I guess he was here, so I can't... Shit. I guess... Uh, yeah, let me just introduce my guest, and then I'll tell you about the story of what just happened a little bit ago, because it's really funny, but... I have a guest today. He is a... Uh, a good friend of mine, probably one of my best friends. Known him for a really long time. He's a cool dude. Uh, the reason I'm in California, which is probably the reason I'm doing comedy and this stuff. Uh, it's my good friend, Mikey Towie. Hey, what, man. How you doing, dude? I'm good, dude. How are you? Good, dude. We got to tell the listeners about uh, about our 7-Eleven escapade that just went down like an hour ago. <laughs> we are... <laughs> you mean fab shorts and cotton here? <laughs> Dude, we were okay. So we were at Seven Eleven. Uh, we were coming back to the place, and we're at Seven Eleven, and we get we pull up and we see this guy. We see this guy. We see this guy at Seven Eleven sitting on the side. And there's no one else at the store. Mikey's like, "Wow, this place is dead, dude." I'm like, "Yeah, weird." And then there's this one guy sitting on the curb. And he's got like his backpack off. And his stuff. We figure he's like taking a break, you know, like he's probably been walking around a lot and he just wants to sit down and, and take a drink and want some water and chill. We go inside, we get our stuff and we come back out and then we sit in the car and we look over <laughs> and he goes, is that person wearing short shorts and a sweatshirt? This is a different person than the guy that was on the car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a different so there's person. another homeless guy that's just maybe 10 feet away who is in a big... <laughs> Big sweatshirt, like a Carhartt sweatshirt, okay? <laughs> like oversized Carhartt sweatshirt. And then what looks to appear to be like short shorts. But then there's something blowing in the wind. <laughs> yeah, there's like some sort of like extra material. I thought it was like a, I thought he had like a flannel like tied around, you know, tied around your waist. And you got yeah, like for a, sure. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like the, like the hipster girl, like. Yeah, like every girl that doesn't want you the, to look at her ass. The PNW look, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, for sure. uh. It starts blowing, it, and then it looks like the same color as the shorts. So I'm like, what the fuck? And we're pulling out. Also, just side note, like, another thing to add to the story is the guy, the first guy, has just, like, this big piece of cotton in his left ear. And it's just, like, sticking out, and he's just sitting there, like, he was making a lot of sounds when I yeah. came out before I got the car. He's just kind of like, we're, like, pulling uh, away. <laughs> Uh, uh, uh. I'm like, oh my god! So I get in the car, and then, and then we're seeing this other person, the short, short person with the flying, flopping, what looks like a shirt. It's actually like part of the. They were pants in the beginning. What this person has done is they've cut off the short, short, the front part, and then where the seam is in your pant, I imagine they let the back end just hang down, to like where was it like, by her knee. I'm not really sure what I was looking at. I think it was. It was like backwards. At one chaps. point they were. At one point they were like knee length shorts, and then they'd been cut into short shorts. But for some reason, the the the, the extra jean material wasn't removed. <laughs> like they was couldn't like get the back there. part off. Yeah, like they just stopped. <laughs> it was really strange. And then and like and by the way, we're like noticing this. We're like we're like backing out of a parking lot. So how long? How a parking spot? So how long does it take to back out of a parking spot? You know, like. Three yeah. seconds. So as we're like backing out, we see caped short shorts guy fully bent over behind you with the extra part of his shorts <laughs> flying around. And then I we look at the other homeless guy who has a giant piece of like paper towel stuck in his only his right <laughs> ear. Well, I could only imagine he has like an ear infection or something, and he's just like, yeah, it was. 
And or you or or that one guy, because that one guy was on the right side of him. Gene Gene Short Shorts guy was on the right side of him. Maybe it was just so annoying that guy just ear plugged his right ear. <laughs> that's why he had the. <laughs> that's why he had the favorite talent is here. Yeah. The he short is, short. The they actually live. They actually live together right there in that bush. <laughs> yeah. But we shouldn't make fun of homeless people because homelessness is terrible. Yes. Yeah, oh yeah. It was just a. It was just crazy, you guys. Just a really interesting situation to. But you know what? They both had PPP. So that's what's most important. <laughs> PPP, personal protective. <laughs> PPE. I'm realizing now. You're good. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> You're good bro. I was like PPP. Personal protective. I'm plug. thinking payroll protection program. Ah. Excuse me. Triple P. Sorry, I've got initialisms flying <laughs> through my head. <laughs> Like, whoa, dude. Ah, ah. Uh, I'm excited you're here. It's going to be fun to sit down and talk about the journey until right now. Because, I mean, what we met in, we met in college, you know. 13, I was doing, 2013? Yeah, 2013, I would say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 12, 13. Uh, what year was that for you? Were you like, was your junior year? I think it was my junior year in college. Yeah, dude. And it was really interesting at that time because, you know, I was studying, I was studying business and you mm-hmm. were, you know, Getting a degree in music, and so we had you know different things going on. But we were still hanging out and stuff. Mm-hmm. Once once school kind of got out, uh, you know, I moved home and I uh, was like, look, just trying to get you know trying to get into an industry, and you like kind of transitioned uh, out of you know out of music and into the cannabis industry, mm-hmm. which I think is like you know back then you know in Washington was one of like the first states to to legalize it you know so mm. you're like kind of you're like one of the first you know waves of people you're in you're in one of the first, first waves mover of, yeah, yeah, yeah for yeah, sure you're definitely like you know kind of like where like when did you know like when you started working in that when did you know did you was there a point where you knew like this is what i want to do uh it took me a while before i think i really wanted to commit to it honestly i went to school for music and i just assumed that that's what i would do and i think what ended up happening is towards the end of when i was getting ready to finish school I applied to a couple master's programs and was lucky enough to get into one, but didn't receive any any money for it. So it was gonna have, it was gonna require some pretty heavy extra loan. And at that point, I just didn't know if I wanted to commit to that. And frankly, I was I was like already interested in the industry. I was a pretty like heavy user at that point, you mm-hmm. know. Yeah. And I had done some of my own like private cultivation too. So it was. And then it got, and then it became legal. Like it was voted in in 2014, and then it was became legal in January of 2015, which seems like ages ago now. And it was that spring and summer that the first plantings were happening, of of, and not just small. You know, like people were doing 30,000 square foot facilities, which compared to what was happening at the time in the black market, that was yeah, it was kind of yeah. Unless you unless you're in like crazy you know, cartel owned areas and stuff like that where they had acres and yeah. stuff. But, you know, like especially for legal operations. And so, you know, I just I tried it. I wanted to take some time off. Um and, and just tried it. Yeah. You know, from from trying it, you know, I like you were I remember you were working at the at the cultivation, you know, with the other guys um that we hung out with and mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. You know, when you moved, because we lived kind of, when we were going to school, we lived like on the, you know, central Washington. We moved, when you moved back over to the the western side where we're both from, um, you know, you transitioned into another company. And, you know, like, what, yep. what was that like? Like going over to, you know, something that was, because you're talking about, you know, un, it's kind of unheard of to see the kind of grows that you were seeing before. Like what was you know what was that transition period like going from mm, you know mm. different different yeah. like environment certainly no I mean it was I think I think making the move over from you know I, I mean I don't, I'm not sure how many people are familiar with Washington State but what's really divided the West Coast is a lot different than the East Coast there's a big mountain range in the middle of it and they're actually like there's a pretty big dichotomy between the political feelings of either side yeah. too. the west coast being very starkly liberal and the east coast east side i should say being um pretty republican and conservative so you know like going back and moving to back to the west coast 
there was West Side, there was just a whole different set of opportunities on that side. It's way more populated. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of it too is, you know, that's where that's where some of the more competitive businesses were. And at the time, I knew that I wanted to continue working in it. And I had located a business that was their cultivation side was like just getting going. Their manufacturing and distribution business was already well established. Um, and those guys were just, they were similar size, but they just had way more money. And it was a, it was an indoor facility, a 3,000 square foot indoor, indoor facility. And I was among their first like 20 hires there um, and was able to, you know, kind of earn some leadership responsibilities very early on and then just kind of ramped that up. And I think that's where I, that, that is where I really made the decision that that was something I wanted to do as a career. I okay. think. So yeah. Kind of like getting the leadership responsibility and putting like your, you know, putting your, your, your all into it. That's when you kind of were like, okay, this is, I just like, started I having to dedicate myself more to like the deep, the, the deep dive knowledge. And okay. personally, like I'm the type of person that, Like, I don't, I like to know, but like, uh, if I, if it's my responsibility to solve the problem, I like to know as, as much about the details of the problem as possible. And frankly, like, there's a lot of details that go into cannabis cultivation, all aspects of it. So, mm-hmm. and I feel like, you know, a lot of, a lot of time, and I also discovered very early on that cannabis cultivation, especially in those early days, was just plagued by anecdotal evidence and pseudoscience and it's not like anyone's fault, you know, it's just no one had grown at scale before. Um, so that's all they had. Yeah, the... exactly. Okay. And the problem is, is that people were, the cost of building these facilities was so high that nobody was really trying to give anyone a chance of risk. And so you just had a group of, you just had all of these basically pot dealers who also grew uh-huh. making these promises. And these businesses had so much money leveraged that they, they didn't want to risk like hiring any like uh, a traditional crop person yeah. right because they didn't want to like worry about that person having to take the time to like learn cannabis right when it's really not that much different mm-hmm. um so so you had this like catch 22 and 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 so many of the you know i think my my approach early was just watching i mean frankly was just built watching people make a lot of mistakes that cost a lot of people money you know yeah <clears throat> And, you know, so, you know, through like watching people, you know, learning by learning by uh, like trial by error, basically watching other people kind of make mistakes and stuff. And through like gaining this, you know, passion for, you know, wanting to work in the cannabis industry as well. Like where, like, was, did you all, like, was there like a, before you got, you know, invited down to California, was there like a, did you want to come down here? Was there like a, was like Washington where you wanted to, you know, make that career happen or? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think what ended up happening is like once I became, and the other thing too is that it's not just what I started really doing when I was at the indoor facility and I, I had some, we had some people there who had PhDs and different types of plant sciences. Uh-huh. And that forced me to learn hard information. Like right? terminology and stuff. And and how it works and how to talk about the plant properly um, and the different sort of metabolic actions and processes of the plant, right? And understanding how to discern proper information from incorrect information, you know? But that's all stuff that, like, if you've been to college, you know, you should learn from is how to understand primary source information and secondary and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's like, like, and, and, and then once I started understanding more of the science behind it, I understood, I, I really started to really understand that a lot of the problems were because people weren't, people were trying to reinvent the wheel, right? Like there, like there's just so many, uh, sometimes I would read something about a whole different plant or, or, or a different way, like a crop was produced and understand what like the settings were for cannabis and realize that the settings for cannabis and the settings for this other crop were the exact same. And so it's like, okay, there's a bunch of like, Oh, Oh, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's like, I think that's been, that's been one of the biggest issues that's plagued cannabis is so many of the industries that were built off of it because of their taboo have been like living in shadows, you know, like nutrient businesses and, 
lighting businesses and ballast, mm-hmm. you know, like all yeah. of these companies have had basically had to have no, they've had no, nobody watching them, you no, know, no, marketing no standard. Yeah. No <laughs> standard to have to be held to because they're just like all the people buying them are illegal pot growers. Yeah. Right. So who's going to, you can't call the triple B. Just all these grow stores. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I, I think, you know, like being there and then being forced and like working with other people who believed in it, and we're passionate about it and then, you know, really just committing to trying to learn the right things and not and and like understanding what the wrong things were. Um, and coming down to California was something I have always wanted to do, period, since I was, you know, a, a young kid, even as, you know, a musician too. like coming down here is a big, big goal. Um, and when the opportunity arose to do it for the cannabis space it was a no brainer. And I mean, really what it was, was I'll never forget when I was told about the project, you know, the largest facility and I was working at the largest facility you could have, which was the largest licenses in Washington at 30,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. Um, and the initial project down here was 240,000 square feet. So eight times the size. <laughs> I'll just never forget hearing that number for the first time. Just and thinking about the, <laughs> I knew what the challenges were of running a 30k, and then when there were people were like, "Oh, we're just gonna build a 240," I was like, first off, who has the fucking money for that?" Yeah, you know. And then like second off, like, "Oh wow, I guess the, I hope they're ready to hire 150 people, mm-hmm. and they have the place to support that. I hope they have a dry room big enough." Yeah, dude. Because I know how big of a dry room I need for, <laughs> you know. Yeah, uh, you're telling you're gonna need a whole other. <laughs> Mm-hmm. you know space and place so it's it's that's what i just realized was the sheer but i couldn't turn it down right the opportunity to work on yeah it's some like eight times the size and you're yeah it's like yeah it's plus it's Cal- california i mean mm-hmm. medical weed legal in some respects legal weed was essentially invented here you've been you've been able to purchase medical cannabis in california since like 1994 96 mm-hmm. um the first dispensaries were here like it's been a long time. This place has a huge history for it. And I would say um, pretty easily that it's the largest cannabis market in the planet. Yeah, for real. I mean, there's yeah. like sectors of it in the state where it's just, you have like, you know, like kind of like the Monterey County, you have like up in by Oakland, San Francisco Bay Area, LA, like all in between. There's like all these different like niche, each one of them is different, I think too. Yeah, I think people just don't understand how many people live in California. I think like a good comparison that I like to make is that you know, people talk about Canada a lot and Canada being the first to like federally legalize and stuff. Mm-hmm. California has like, I think last time I checked, it's like three or four million people more than Canada than does. Canada? Yes. Like the whole country? The whole country. Just California has more. Oh. Yeah. I didn't realize that. I didn't, I didn't know that. Well, yeah. So it's, it kind of <laughs> puts things into perspective when they're like, oh yeah, we legalized. It's like, okay, well. Yeah. <laughs> that is true. Like when, when I moved down here, the one thing I noticed is like an hour drive just became like a normal thing. Kind of like a normal thing. For sure. Yeah. Like it was just a no big deal. And an yeah. hour drive in, in Washington is like. You cover all, everywhere you, that's populated. Cover, yeah. Everywhere that's densely populated, you can cover <laughs> In an hour drive in Washington. Yeah, like in five yeah. hours, you can just drive. Now, that might home. sound like a good thing to the people from California, to you people from California, but let me tell you right now, it's not because <laughs> the traffic in those areas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Imagine yeah. LA traffic everywhere you want to go. Mm-hmm. Everywhere that has stuff to do. There was like one main big road yeah. in my hometown. is just traffic the whole time. <laughs> the now. whole time. Everywhere, everywhere, all the freeways and then everywhere you have to go <laughs> to get to the freeways. <laughs> then all of the like, yeah, it's all. Oh, but yeah. you know, it is very much like Cali in the sense that in like main arterial passageways from city to city, they just make one lane highways. Mm-hmm. that just get like slammed during for like eight hours a day so dude you come down to this 240,000 square foot grow in california you know what do you you know what is the you know what is the initial like feeling what are you when you get down here you see the place you know like i remember talking to you about it back then and you were like you know on facetime you'd show me like you you guys are rebuilding some of the greenhouses and 
Yeah, what, was, what was the initial feeling like when you're getting it going? Like, are you just like, dude, I'll just remember. hopeful? Like, you're just like, I hope this works kind of thing? Or I mean, I had to be. I don't think there was any room for... I, don't get me wrong. I was fucking scared shitless. I mean, there was a huge decision to make. It wasn't for that much more money. And if I knew how much more expensive California actually was going to be, I probably might not have done it, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ended up being fine. I'll never forget leaving because I came down two weeks earlier than Serena. Um, and I left with basically like my computer, uh, like a bag of clothes and um, like 500 clones <laughs> in, a, in a custom box with a bunch of nutrient water and LED lights, battery-powered LED lights. Just taped to the top of the and box. And I straight drove. I drove straight, yeah. And all of the plants at that facility <laughs> came uh, from, that's so not crazy. all, I should say, but at this point, it's probably like 40% of the plants at that place are plants from the back of that trunk that's crazy to think about if you have smoked house weed or cypress cannabis since 2018 there's about a 40 percent chance that it came from a plant in my trunk (laughs) that's so crazy (laughs) that's so awesome though because that's where that's where like you know that's where kind of you called you know, you called me, you know, there was an opening for a spot there and you know, you're like, dude, I, I, you know, I'm going to put a good word in for you. And like, I, you know, I, I was having kind of a, a tough go out of college right out the, <laughs> right out the gate. I, <laughs> this is a really funny story, dude. I, I fucking threw trash. Do they know? Does everyone know about I don't your think, trash story? Yeah. I don't think people know about the trash story, but this oh, that's is too bad. Uh, I haven't like told it. On. I'm trying to tell it as a joke on stage, but I tell it right now. I tell threw, your joke I right threw now. Trash in the no, I can't do it. As a, I threw trash in a dumpster uh, <laughs> in college because I was moving out of my place and we didn't want to take it to my roommates didn't want to take it to the dump. I'm gonna let's I'm be gonna, honest here. Be, be completely honest. Well, the roommates that I had didn't want to take it to the dump, so I used my truck, threw it in a dumpster down the street, and somebody went through. The trash found my mail. Called the police, <laughs> and I got charged with fucking theft for throwing trash. Public in the utilities. Yeah, I, was, I stole the. I was stealing the services. So you fucking degenerate. Uh, what's funny about that though is I was dealing with that while, you know, I'm like wrapping this up. You know, when Mikey starts to like kind of talk to me about like, hey, I might be going to California for this thing. And then, you know, he moves down there and he's been down there for, you know, about a month or so. And then, you know, we keep talking, things get a little more serious. And then, you know, I kind of, I get a date from him and I'm working like two jobs, try to save up. And then I drive down here with my truck with like a U-Haul full of my shit. And, uh, yeah. And that was, (laughs) that was fun working at that, at that grow. Like I, I think about that spot a lot. It was like my introduction into California. Yeah, dude, that was your... <laughs> like, in the next day, I was there. Like, I moved in, and the next day, we went, and I was just, like, at the farm. Yeah, working. <laughs> just working at Putting the farm. Putting you to work. Yeah. Uh, yeah, awesome. man, that was crazy. I mean, I, uh, yeah, I think you... There's not a lot of people who are able to, I think, make a move like that, and I do, I do think we did it pretty well, though, like, being able to live together early on, and, um... You know, you're like, you have the right mental capacity for it. And again, you know, that's like the whole reason why I wanted to bring you down here is because I knew I needed like reliable help. And like, I didn't, out of all, most of our friends, (laughs) you know, you, uh, I just remember multiple times you balancing work full time in school. Oh yeah. And just having (laughs) like no idea how you did that. So. I just oh, during, always, during school? Like, oh, yeah. dude. I mean, yeah, you'd you'd be at the We'd house and you'd so see me. get so fucked up and then you'd just have, you'd be like three hours later, you'd be getting up yeah, and going to work and I just didn't, I would just, just be like, like holy fuck. Like, yeah. yeah. Biking to my job at like But luckily, yeah, I guess CJ's was all on the other way, the other way, whole other side of town, so you at least have a pretty sobering bicycle ride because it was like freezing there. Yeah, there was definitely a couple of, uh, 
of like college party nights. Did you ever just have to like yak? I was just about to say there was some nights where like <laughs> your bike ride there, super hungover. You just throw up on your way yeah, there. Yeah, bro. <laughs> super hungover. I got like my. Luckily, I got my clothes in my backpack. You For know? sure. I'm yeah. Just wearing like some shorts Shit. and a t-shirt. Yeah. On. I one time I did throw up like no handlebars and like. <laughs> kept going <laughs> like i just turned and was like Ugh. yeah dude you're like lance armstrong dude you're like tour de france yeah. you're like fuck it dude i got places to be no time for that <laughs> that's was, so gnarly yeah i mean that was the one cool thing that's the one thing i remember about ellensburg the most is just riding my bike through the town yeah because for I sure mean, you you were you know you were the same you rode your bike mm-hmm. like, quite a bit around that place as well yeah man. and there's good memories. I still could, I could like, I could draw you a map of that town. Yeah. Same. Right now. <laughs> yeah. Not, like not, it's not that it's hard. It's I like, I couldn't name the streets, but miles. I could definitely draw it out. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, four, you know, the whole city is like seven square miles, but mm-hmm. less than that, three. It's funny. It's like Salinas kind of feels like that town a little bit, but just like way bigger, but also it's a completely different. But it just seeing the hills around it. Oh, for sure. The Valley, the Valley Ag Town. Yeah, 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 man. I mean, it's basically the same. It's just eight times bigger. Mm -hmm. No, more like 80. I forget how small Ellensburg is. I don't remember, yeah. 14,000 people. Does it depend? It fluctuates with the college? Yeah, there's like 20,000 people when the college is in. And then, yeah, I remember the the summers. It gets empty. That town gets empty. Dead. I spent every summer there. Me too. Yeah, me too. Almost. No, the first summer I still worked at the ranch, but. That was, yeah. I mean, that's probably part of the reason why too. I had no problem going into cannabis because I grew up. My grandparents bought a ranch when I when they were like, when I was still pretty young, like uh, like probably ten. Um, and my grandfather was really heavily involved in the tech scene in Seattle, and then had like a fucking meltdown, um, in traffic one day, and just like sold off his controlling majority to like the three businesses he owned, and they sold their like dope mansion in Gig Harbor and then he bought fucking 30,000 acres of land in southeast Washington and built another even larger fuck off mansion <laughs> and then just decided to start ranching raising cattle and, and growing oh, wheat wow. I never will I will never forget man I was like 10 years old and I came over for Mother's Day with my mother to come see my grandmother and my grandmother was packing their house just beside herself you know, because they, she, my grandpa was like moving their whole life. Yeah. And my grandpa's just sitting on their couch, sitting on the couch, just chilling with his feet up crossed. And he's got a farming for dummies guide. Mind you, this is one of the smartest guys I've ever known in my life. <laughs> he's got a farming, like, <laughs> they're packing their giant mansion, mansion. Yeah. And he's just chilling. <laughs> just chilling with his That's so funny. With farming for dummies. I will never forget that oh, scene. Oh, my God. And then, like, no shit. They, he had her living in a fucking trailer because they didn't have the house built. So that he moved her there with a. They just had to live in a trailer while they were like. Re, he, he had to, like, redo the whole property, redo all of the wells. But I mean, it was such a gorgeous property. They had water rights and everything like that. Grandfathered in because they have. The country hasn't given water rights since, like, the 40s. Mm-hmm. So you have to buy them or they, have, they were grandfathered in. No one's. You have a new one. So he had, like, a little. He had, like, a river that ran through with the property and. Had a bunch of cattle. So I, I grew up doing that during the summers and, and working the first grow I worked at, that greenhouse grow, that was, I just remember like, it's the same work. And I remember, I remember realizing right there that like, okay, this part of this, like I have to figure out a different thing because like, I'm not okay. just, I didn't like, I, re- I remember realizing very quickly and I have no disrespect for it because it's honest work. Mm-hmm. But it's like I remember remember I remember realizing very quickly that like I wanted to do more than just like mix soil and fill pots yeah. and defoliate and put on fucking Tyvek in a hundred and ten degree greenhouse mm-hmm. and spray fucking neem oil for four <laughs> hours. Yeah. You know? Um yeah. and you know, it's it's hard work. It's hard work. And I think that's like I think that's a huge misconception. I think I think a lot of people think that the pot industry is just a bunch of fucking people, yeah, hanging out, yeah, smoking weed, mm-hmm. making a bunch of money, you know. And I'll tell you what, like it takes a lot of work to get you your eighth of weed. It mm-hmm. takes you. It takes a lot of work, and you'd be most of that work you wouldn't. You don't do. 
you would not be willing to do. And if you had to do it, you'd expect you'd get paid a lot more because it's yeah. weed you're making. Uh-huh. And uh, you know, I think that's a a, a really. <laughs> well, that was yeah. I can I can definitely speak to that. That was something that I learned coming to the cultivation, working there, was just like the respect for the other people at the cultivation that are like doing, like working really hard, like yeah. straight up, just like working hard day in and day out, and you just see it from them, and it's just. You just get, it's just like humbling. It's just straight up humbling to, it's like another level of just. There's a camaraderie that yeah. gets built too. Like, I mean, I remember, dude, after, and dude, it whoops your ass into shape. That's for sure. Yeah. Like you don't, like it breaks you pretty quick. Like you figure out that it's like, you just got to like, the only thing that makes it better is getting it done. Mm-hmm. You know? And I remember that about ranching work. I remember that about the first, I remember the first thing, the only thing my grandpa would let me do for like the first three years I'd go there, the first three summers was fix hand line after the cows would come in. And you want to know triggering is spending a week in 108 degrees, burning your hands, changing metal piping yeah, only to watch the cows get moved into after it's been watered and just watch them break all of them again. (laughs) And then you have to come back. I swear to God, it's like some sort of fucking psychotic Buddhist exercise where I'm making sand sculptures (laughs) and then just jerking off on them. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Dude, like I will never, I like, oh man, I used to get so triggered. I would just be out there in the hills by myself. And of course, you know, it's like there's, it just, it just forces you to like understand that, you know, that's like fucking, that's life, dude. Yeah. You can put up with that shit, you know? Mm-hmm. That's why you go to school. That's why you fucking, because life is, life is hard. Most jobs are hard. Yeah. You want the, the cool job with air conditioning? <clears throat> You don't burn your shit or have to worry about rattlesnakes <laughs> or dying from a crane accident or some shit. <laughs> you got to learn a goddamn skill. Jeez, damn Jeez. <laughs> I swear, dude. Uh, where, what, what was next after, after you're kind of done with cultivation? Like you say, you know, you kind of realize well, it's, not, it's not necessarily the... I transitioned to another business, another company after that one. I was there for over a year, and it was difficult. Um, Great learning experience. We'll never forget it. I remember it it fondly. I don't look back on it with negativity at all and appreciate the learning lessons that it brought. Um, And then I just transitioned to a new business where they didn't have the same stake in cultivation. They had plans to, and that was part of the whole reason why I was hired there. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, uh, it didn't pan out, essentially. But obviously, I'm not useless, and I understand a lot about really supply chain in cannabis. And again, it's like you know, like I mentioned earlier, like I started deep diving hard into it in 2016, and so now I'm wrapping up this year at the cultivation in California. This is 18, mm-hmm. so it's been like two years where I've been like really trying, just to learn about cannabis, just uh, all aspects. You know, mm-hmm. um, and then further that goes into like a manufacturing and distribution and production. And then like, what are the hallmarks of that? You know, like what is, what are, what are, how do other industries do all of this shit? Cause again, yeah. like I said, I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel here. No, you're just trying to make it work. I'm just trying to like, yeah, exactly. So, um, and then that, like once that really became like my, my focus point, um, I started getting a lot of opportunities to do things like that. And you and I worked on a lot of those things. Yeah. Uh, We did a lot of those things together. We set up a lot of processes that have nothing to do with cultivation. They're just internal operating processes. Like the the scope that you gave me when I moved down here and I started working was, you know, after the plant is fully grown and is ready to be harvested. From that point on is where I feel like I have gained like know the most knowledge mm-hmm. from working with you on these projects and from doing you know from you know that was what i was you know that's what i was that's what you had me doing there was like post-processing you know, weed trimming it, yeah like yep. just overseeing all that and like just going through 
that and then getting to the next stage where it almost felt like I was like, I did, you know, everything up to sending the weed to the distributor. Now we're at the distributor and it's like, get to see what the weed coming in, you know, it's like the the next step basically. And, uh, yeah, getting to to learn all those things and and processes and and working on those projects with you was like, you know, it's giving me such a great understanding of, you know, I feel like I've been able to get a lot of that knowledge that you were, you know, like you're saying in 2016, in 20, you know, 2018, you were, you know, you were cultivating, you were learning, you know, you have a good way of like sharing that and like, you know, making sure that the ones around you that are working with you also have that knowledge too and are able to, you know, apply it. Cause that's, I mean, it's, I mean, you, I mean, I've spent a lot of time with you. Yeah. You've gotten, you know, like, you know, I care a lot about your success, but I think so much of, you know, there's just like so much I carry over for music. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of like aspects of that that I believe are really, really important to just like learning things or being organized or project management. Um, so much of music, especially when it comes to like, when you think about like what it, what are all the pe- what are all like the things that go into making music and like especially like maybe like a symphony or something like that everything from composing and all the instruments and um the balance of the different instruments right and then the piece itself and getting the right players and the right soloists and stuff and there's just like there's so many moving parts everything down to the individually trained musicians and as a percussionist that was like there's so many things there's so many pieces of music where it's like you have, you know, we're Star Spangled Banners at 120s and you're at this fast, you know, and you've got two beats to put down your crash cymbals after crashing, mute, put them down and then transition and pick up snare sticks and start playing the snare drum. And it's, you have whole rhythms that you have to be playing for them and they all have their own techniques. And so like you have to be like compartmentalized in your head. You have to have the understanding of where you are at and where like you fit and your how you balance with the people around you and what your piece of music is that you're playing and like and then you have to have the organization and physical capacity to understand how to like get from here to here quickly mm-hmm. and it's like if you take away the music and the instruments and you sub out supply chain and labor <laughs> it's like it's like okay now we're just talking about understanding what like the dynamics of the problem you're trying to solve are yeah. and like, what are my touch points and how can I make that happen mm-hmm. most like effectively? It, like you're thinking about everything as like a final, as like a final product, like a piece. Yeah. Like, I, guess, I mean, it's like, well, that's what we're trying to do. Like, like it's a bunch of people. Yeah. And I think there's so many hallmarks of, of good music and good musicians that could be applied to business too. I think that like part of what's amazing about music is the, the prove it capability. Right. There's so many instances and it like makes your ego killed because you know where you're, you are, right. There's so many ways to like, there's a piece of music, there's notes on the page that are written. Yeah. Someone's going to play it well and someone's going to play it better than you, you know? And like, but that's okay. Like we're all like learning and working towards the same thing. Mm -hmm. There's so much, there's so much shadow bullshit in business where I think, I think if there were like, public prove it moments more that you would have a lot easier way of like understanding where the real issues are and in, in you know like where a lot of your pain points are um and then the other issue is the other thing that I, I like i miss a lot about music and and wish that it happened more um in the business world is uh like team teamwork essentially yeah you know and like um there's there's so much uh like all the different departments working together as one. Totally. Yeah. Like when you think about people coming together, you think about like a 90 person, you know, we were in college, we were a bunch of like freaked out over anxious 18 to 22 year olds. And we were managing to come together as 90 unique individuals and memorize an hour long piece of music and be able to play it from rote, you know? Yeah. Um, like and understand it all in sync yeah and not you know like that is like 
that's cool. You know, mm-hmm. humans are cool yeah. for being able to do shit like that, you know? And it's yeah. like amazing how, I mean, I think, I think there's a lot of, I think a lot of, like, if you look at a lot of the really good businesses that exist now, a lot of them are tech companies. Their capability for collaboration is really, really high. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they pride, they, they take pride in how much they do that. Um, and that's something that I definitely, like, I miss, I miss that a lot. And so much of like coming together as a group, you know, whether it be like a small group, like a quintet or a larger group or something like that, it's all applicable into like teamwork. You know, I think you used to complain to me about this all the time in college where it's like the 80, 20 rule, right? Like 20% of the people in the group do 80% of the work, Yeah, you know, and you were always one of those guys doing, picking up the slack for other, other people. And it's like, how often does that fucking happen at your job? Right. Everybody's job. Right. Uh And there's no, there's no like, there's no public sphere where it's acceptable for those people to be held to a standard. Yeah, the only people that know they about just, it are those people. Exactly. They yeah. just get they just get a pass, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's um I think it's really, really interesting. And so I luckily, you know, been able to have leadership opportunities where I've been able to apply some of that. I think some of it is um I think some of it is easy, easier than other stuff too. Um, but you know, I think my, you know, my favorite part about music too is at the end of the day, it's like about evoking uh, commitment and passion and and emotion, you know, and it's not about like making money or um, power or ego or, or title, you know? So um, anyway, that's a really good, it's a really good way to put it, man. It's like, it's so true. I can only think about it in terms of relating it to comedy because I feel like there's mm-hmm. some sort of similarity. You're not working with a team necessarily, but sometimes you, you do. You do have that public like sphere, like you're talking about, where you have to kind of put up or shut up almost. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. same kind of thing exists there. Yeah, and I like that because you can't like you can't like ride on someone else's coattails really. Mm-hmm. Like you have mm-hmm. to also be a good performer to get, you know, to like work with people and network and get on shows and things like Especially that. Especially like actually perf- to stuff. Like if you're going to get paid to do it, mm-hmm. like you have yeah. to like be fucking funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's the kind of thing that I like about it a lot because it does give you that. That's like the space where you can, you know, you can kind of just, you know, put up or shut up, I guess is the way to, mm-hmm best way to say it that's something i enjoy it's something i like like that challenge like what you know like when did you because you know now you're you know now you're kind of doing like your own my own thing yeah Mm -hmm. like when when did you when was like that the it seems like you've had like seems like you've it's been a progressive thing of like i'm here now but i want more then you're like okay now i'm here but it seems like i want more something else like when did you kind of know like dude i just gotta like i just gotta you know, get, I got to get going. I got to get my own, you know, thing. I just need to do it. Like when were you? That's, um, it really happened while I was at the, one of the last places we were at together. Uh Um, it was a combination of things, but really it was like me getting real, like full leadership control over major projects. And I think there's been inklings of me like wanting I've always known that I think I'd want to be able to like steer my own canoe. Mm-hmm. Um, but really what solidified it was successfully completing long-term important projects that directly applied to stuff that I wanted to do, gaining confidence and real like technical ability in it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then the other part of it was, was desire from, other people beside myself to do the same thing or wanted me to help. Um, and I think, I think for a lot of people, uh, I think there's, there's a certain, if you are like, you become, if you really are very, like if you really are good at something and extremely knowledgeable in it, there becomes a time and place where, you're faced with a decision where you like kind of hit a roof for as like far as like, you're going to be able to do what you want somewhere or what you can do, mm-hmm. what your capabilities are. And if you understand something deep enough, um, 
and you understand what the dynamics are to create what you envision as your form of success in that thing, then that just starts eating away at you as something you like should go do. Like you just like have to try, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that's like a pretty complicated way of saying that, you know, I got tired of people telling me no. And I had other people who I trusted as well, who weren't like my bosses and stuff telling me that I was thinking about things the right way. Um, and that if, you know, if I wasn't necessarily, if I was on my own, that there would be support for me to be like doing something like that, you know? So, uh, and then I met Brett, my partner, Brett, um, shout out boof boy, Brett, uh, air dad barbecue himself. You know, we met working together at, at, at the last, at the last place and, he was associated with a very, very popular brand and, you know, he started putting that shit in my ear really. And really what it was too, was he was just like trying to get me hired somewhere else, frankly. Um, and then be, because of that process, we got to know each other so well, you know, cause mm-hmm. he basically was like a recruiter. Right. Um, and then we started touring around with the idea of creating Greater. Um, we had no idea what we were going to call it. I went through a bunch of names. We eventually landed on Greater Holding Co. Um, and really what we wanted to do was just basically help brands solve different types of problems. We didn't really know. Okay. Even the way, even with how concisely I can say that right now, it was not that clear then. <laughs> Like I remember, very general I remember basically being ready to quit my job and telling my me telling my dad that I was going to do a startup, and he was just like, "Have you even like started your paperwork for it? What's the name of the business? <laughs> do you have a website?" And I was like, "I have no idea." We just had like an idea. Like I feel like such an idiot at this point, you know, about yeah. it. But like, it was one of those things where the right things were coming together. So. um and this was like right pre-COVID. I can't believe it. I cannot believe it. Um, Pre-COVID. What a good time. Yeah. So Brett quit his job. I quit my job. And we, we came together and we had a couple people who were basically willing to hire, like start a con- start contracts with us. Um, one of them, which we're still working on right now, is a very high-touch soft gel uh, CBD and CBN um, and herbal product um, okay. that's really, really interesting. Um, soft gels are extremely complicated by the way to make. Um, and then our other, our other client was, a, was a great CBD and also THC brand based in the Pacific Northwest. Um, and they were able to start paying us enough money that we could pay our bills. And that was all I needed to get started. Um, and that was, that was, uh, October of, ni- of, of 19. So you're just helping them kind of build out their brand and I mean, it's, it's, with the guys up north um, in the Pacific Northwest, it was it's a lot of like big picture advisory on like finding new strategic partnerships and like how to evaluate those people. Also, they have a lot of like public, they have like a, a massive hemp facility themselves and a massive manufacturing facility. Um, and it was helping them like refine their own supply chain practices and set up SAPs and standardization modules okay. and stuff like that for them. And then what we're doing now with them is getting preparing them to bring them into the California market. Nice. Um, the CBD soft gel is way more high touch. That was, that's we did full hands on product development. I literally led and managed the entire development of that product. They had a they had a formulation. I'm doing air quotes right now because you can't see, but it was basically <laughs> a fucking ingredient list. And to give you an analogy of like why this doesn't make sense is because imagine if I just gave you. Imagine if it just gave you the ingredients you need to like a souffle or like a very complicated dessert with yeah. multiple stages and processes, okay? Mm-hmm. And with no directions for how they went together. Just the list. Of just the list of things you need to go get from the store and the okay. amount of them you did, okay? And then no directions, okay? <laughs> and And no real recipe. So that's what we started with and that's what like these guys... Who, mind you, like one of them is a PhD. Yeah, it's like 
this is our formulation. And I had to be like, this is not a formulation. This is you saying we need to make a very complicated cake and you need some sugar and some flour and some butter and some eggs, but not, there's nothing about mixing wet and dry ingredients on here. So that, that, and of course these guys came to us and they're like, we're ready to launch in eight weeks. They had no initial manufacturers found. No, none of their raw, raw materials or ingredients ordered or sourced. And mind you, they had 29 unique ingredients for this product. And no fulfillment or distri- distribution figured out. And they're going to launch in eight weeks and hired us to do it. Wow. So that's been an uphill battle. It sounds like an episode of Bar Rescue. <laughs> Dude, it's, <laughs> it's insane what people think is just like possible. It's kind of crazy. Uh, but now, you know, we're, we're excited. We're, uh, you know, I'm really excited to be able to tell you that we have um, some pretty exciting partnerships with um, Houseplant and Seth Rogen, which is pretty crazy. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, wow. I literally was just on Zoom with him on Friday, which is nuts. And similar thing we're doing where his brand is actually launched in, Can- in Canada, Houseplant. And so we're we've been brought on to manage this all the supply chain components for the production and and launch of it into California and beyond in the U.S. So that's exciting. Look for that in the fall, September. Um, cool. We're working with High Times. You might have heard of those guys. Yeah, I've heard um, them before. You might have seen <laughs> seen some news and inklings. They just finished a huge fundraise and they're pivoting the business from a media business to a vertically integrated retail storefront as well as production and distribution business and they're going to have multiple storefronts open up opened through the u.s before the end of this year and then many more throughout 2021 that's about all i can say on that and we've been hired to do all their internal product development so you're going to see high times bagged flour you're going to see high times cannabis cup winner jarred flour uh pre-rolls edibles the works those are going to be done by your boy um those are going to be launching shortly which is exciting um and that's a big deal, right? High Times has been around since the 60s, and they've never done a product before. They've had merch and memorabilia, obviously. Mm-hmm. But um, That'd be cool for them to have their name on something. And it's going to be dope, yeah. Be able to back the product and stuff. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think it'll be... Hey, you know, it might be more for the tourist side of things. I think a lot of... In the state of California, High Times doesn't have the best rep, but they have a huge reputation in the rest of the U.S., mm-hmm. you know. Um. And they're under they're under all new leadership, so you know it's a new company, new business. Um, so I think that's uh, that's pretty exciting. And then we have some other stuff in the works with some people that you might recognize, but I can't really uh, talk about those things yet. Um, and really, you know, we're just trying to build. We've built a boutique business that um, can basically make any sort of CBD or THC product. Um, we also do things like state to state expansion and, um, fundraising help. Um, and you know, eventually we would like to turn it into not just an advisory business, but an incubation business where we're working with people who have really unique and interesting ideas for products and brands in the industry. And it's really cool how you've managed to consistently put yourself in a position where you've been at like the forefront of cannabis. Like you were, you know, you started working in one of the first states to be legalized, you know, California short after you come down here, help get, you know, help set a lot of things up for the recreational market, you know, in terms of like cultivation, distribution, manufacturing. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, just continue to do that. You're talking about state to state expansion. It seems like you're hitting the trend, you know, you're following it where it goes, you know, kind of just like riding it, you know, just, uh, it's really cool, man. Like, I appreciate it. I mean, I think, I mean, it's interesting. That's for sure. I think it's one way of being successful. I know a lot of people who are making way more money than I am at this point because they did something early that cost Mm -hmm. a lot of money, but they finally paid it off and you know, they're reaping the rewards of that. They were just set up four or five years later, you know? So I think there's, I think really what it is, is it's like commitment. And frankly, you know, I, I like, that's part of the reason why I started a business was I was never, never part of the, I was never an owner. And I think, I think eventually if you're doing something long enough and 
you're good enough at it. That's, uh, that's, I think that's something that a lot of people think about doing is being able to do something like that. And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, became a parent to me and that's, that's really what this has become about. So, and that's interesting too, you know, like, I don't think I expected that to be to us to ramp up this quickly, you know, we're like quickly looking at a, like a decision point where, you know, it's time to like hire and probably get an office, mm-hmm. you know, and stuff yeah. like that. And that's just like insane to think about, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, crazy, but it's, but it's, that's, that's what I wanted. You know, that's what I, that's, that's what I wanted. Right. So it's like, it's, I'm not like afraid of it, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm just, I like want to make sure I do a good job. I'm still feel so young. I still feel so inexperienced. I still feel like I have so much I have to learn and I have to like lead people and be responsible for making sure they're paid and they can feed their families. And you know, it's, um, it's a whole other beast. So, you know, I think that's like, that's a big goal, but it's also a huge responsibility. And that's, I think, Mm -hmm. you know, understanding that and owning it and doing it right is what I, is, is what I'm about. Um, and, and that's going to take, that's going to take time to do correctly. That's something I do not want to rush into. And that's a really big, I think that's what has happened to a lot of people. I think a lot of businesses have. They just bit off way more than they could chew. It's just like unnecessary growth. Just unnecessary growth, unjustified. Mm-hmm. Yeah, unjustified. Um, or, or better. you know, they like. I mean, it's so interesting. This is something that I feel like I say it to people in the weed world, and it's like new information to them. But when you talk to like anybody else from other industries, it's not like we talk about that two hundred forty thousand square foot grow I did. That is a sixteen million dollar project. Sixteen million dollar construction project. If you say $16 million construction project in any other business or industry, that's the largest focus of their business mm-hmm. for a lot of businesses. Yeah. Big businesses, brands you see everywhere, they have a $16 million build out going. That's a huge focus for them. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so the, the, um, the amount of the a lack of focus and attention that's paid to these, the amount of money that's being spent on these projects and businesses is appalling. Mm-hmm. That's why it's taken so long. That's why it's so, especially in California, where it's just, it, if, if it feels like it's a wild mess, it's because it's been a wild mess. <laughs> <laughs> that's just how it's been. Yeah. Yeah. But it's getting better, you know? And I think, um, you know, I think a lot of, I, if you're if you're a really big cannabis consumer, if you really really love it, I I implore you to travel to some other legal states and go check out their market. Cali is not the only place that has good weed. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, seriously. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, and I and I and I'm just it's it's exciting. That's again, that's another big reason why I wanted to move into the branding space. As well as because so much of Canada is the, the the money that people have to spend, and 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 frankly, there's such a huge lack of education by the people who are coming into this business into this industry from other mm-hmm. businesses, and they are unwilling to deep dive, understand what the hard costs and the difference between what your capital expenditure is going to be versus your operational expenditure, and. Um, and what it costs to actually get your lights on and, and get you through your first harvest and to actually start making money back and how long it takes you to get your money back from retailers. And people don't understand that from the day that you plant that plant, it's going to be six months before you see money back from that. Clock's ticking. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and, and, and then, and then, you know, they, they, they build these, these facilities having done no, no research into what it costs to build facilities and other crop. Mm-hmm. And they do this at every stage. They do this in, in manufacturing. It's like hydrocarbon extraction is an extremely complicated and costly process. <laughs> this is not something that people have been doing. Okay? Like live resin extraction, like what that at that stage, those machines and that technology is brand fucking new. Mm-hmm. They have not the best thing that they've been doing is CO2 extraction. And they're not haven't been making distillate. But they make like glues and stuff. Yeah. For textiles, for clothes. 
okay? That's the closest. This whole, like, highly pressurized and super chilled butane and pot in highly combustible <laughs> chambers. Yeah. It's a... Uh... This is new stuff, you know? So, it's like... The, the 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 challenges that that creates is um is unreal to me but then you know you would think that like if, if i'm going to spend 15 million dollars on an extraction facility like i could spend $150,000 a year and hire a fucking phd in industrial engineering yeah you know um but they don't you know cuz why why you know they want to like cut corners so you know it's uh, uh it's it's wild but that's where it's heading and and the re- and you want that like you we need that standardization we need the skill sets in the industry that is how you get things better quality and better priced you know i think a lot of people think that like growing pot or making oils of art but i'm sorry to tell you it is not <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's a unique balance yeah of education okay. and operational expertise the one thing i do love about cannabis just to <coughs> add to your your art thing here you can always tell what went wrong when someone shows you their weed 100 percent. like right when you someone shows here check this pound out the first thing you can see is what they didn't do yeah <laughs> yep. uh but here one last thing before we go here because you know, this has been fun dude uh real fun i i I ask the people that I've had on are all from California, so I've always been asking them, you know, kind of like they, they ask me sort of like the differences between Washington and California and what I think, what I miss about Washington. So since I have a fellow Washingtonian here with me today on the podcast, probably the first time ever, uh, I need you to I need you to lay it down for the people of California that are listening right now and just tell them like things in Washington that we don't have. Or what's your, what do you miss? What's like... What are the pro like? What's the good stuff about Washington? I guess. Well, you know, just like let them know, uh, because people don't people don't really believe. Torching a dab right now. By yeah, the I was way. gonna Sorry. say. By the way, that's a blowtorch. Yeah, it's okay. It's safe. It's safe. Uh, uh, okay. One of the biggest things uh, I miss about Washington compared to California um, is uh, blinkers. Blinkers for you, Cali drivers. Like on vehicles. Yes. Ah, okay. Let me tell you guys. So when you're lo- when you're when you're dude, holding yeah. on to your steering wheel, blinker, dude. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. when you're holding on to your steering wheel, this is for California residents. The stick on the left, I know it's like, what is it? What's that for? It actually turns on flashing lights that let people know which way you're turning. Believe it or not. <laughs> it's super helpful because not everyone is in your fucking car or in your fucking head. And knows what you're doing, and they're worried about it. They're worried about what you're going to do, okay? So for fuck's sake, think about the people around you and use your blinker. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah, I, I do love a good blinker. Oh, yeah. Listen to that bubbleage. Ooh. Ripping a good one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> The audio only of this is probably really funny. <laughs> oh yeah, he's also giving me head yeah. and Dan talking. Perfectly. Yeah, I'm talking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. It like I I always say the coffee stands like the little the pop ups. You know. Oh yeah, dude. That's my number one thing I tell people. Yeah, bikini baristas, dude. You guys don't know about that in Cali. I mean, I didn't, I didn't have, I don't miss those. I don't think. Don't miss them though. Yeah. No. <laughs> Cali's fine without them. You guys don't need them at all. I think Cali's fine without them. Yeah. Uh, um. You know, I miss like um. Gloominess or. The like people in Washington are like. I mean, they're like un- unapologetically passive aggressive, but. They're like gen like generally like nice, and people don't fucking drive like ninety. Mm-hmm. Like people are in a fucking rush in California. Where, where are you going? Yeah, where are you fucking going? It's so flat. You can see where you're gonna go. Like you can see that it's okay. Where you're headed is fine. I know most of you motherfuckers aren't up to anything. <laughs> <laughs> 
What the fuck are you doing? Yeah. What is so important? You need to you need to blow through three lanes going ninety with no turn signal. Is someone dying every day? You have someone in the back of that car dying? Is your wife giving birth? <laughs> oh, dude. Oh, man, that's funny. God. So, uh, you know, we're going to think, you know, these guys, now's a good time to to wrap it up, dude. Dude, it's been fun. It's been fun, man. Where can people follow you if they want to check out, you know, if they want to peep the, the stuff that you're talking about? You got some... I think you got some cool pictures up of uh, some cultivation stuff and things like that. You can check out my Instagram out at midsman underscore M-I-D-S-M-A-N. And then check out the uh, check out the work website um, greaterholdings.co Lots of good information there and stuff we're doing and projects and all that fun stuff. So I just really appreciate it and it was a lot of fun, man. Yeah, it was, dude. For real. Uh, cool, man. Was, yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening. And make sure to head over to the Instagram at I'm Getting There Pod. If you'd also like to see what I'm doing, you can go to at underscore mboof on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and YouTube, Michael Booth. Thank you for listening and be sure to subscribe.